When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up the Phillies podcast. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. I'm Bob Wankel, and we are going to talk about the one and five Philadelphia Phillies. Mm. Anthony, we are here. It is the home opener, and the Phillies come limping back to Philadelphia after a disastrous six-game stretch across the state of Texas and then up in the Bronx this past week. Let's just get right to it. A lot of negativity surrounding this team. Injuries are mounting. Pitching has been underwhelming. They can't hit in key spots. Anthony, what the hell is going on, man? Welcome to the start of baseball, Bob. I mean, this is this is not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but then it's, there are times when I this stuff like this happens and you want to get angry, right? You, I, I sit here and I want to get frustrated and say, oh, my God, how can they be this bad? And then I look around and then there's other teams that are going through the same thing. And then you go back historically and there's other teams that were wildly successful that went through it. And you go, OK, I, I have to breathe. I have to wait. I have to be patient. But I don't think that there's a huge window for patience here, and and let's be let's be let's be fair about it. I, I do think you look here and say one and five is a terrible start, but it's not like it's not. A, you can certainly overcome it. But the Braves are flying out of the gate, and if if you don't fix this quick, we're going to be in the same spot we were last year, where the division is not even a question, and you're not even competing for the division, and you're automatically just battling for a wild card from May, right? I mean, so that this is this next stretch of games. Between now and, and I, I say I say seventeen games these next seventeen games because they're they're against teams that the Phillies should beat with a little bit more regularity. They have to win ten or eleven. If they don't, the division's going to be over, and that's not yeah. a good thing. I mean, listen, last season Braves finished fourteen games ahead of the Phillies. We are a week into this thing, and the Braves have a four and a half game lead over the Phillies right now. And listen. I know that people will say, well, hey, what happened last October? Didn't the Phillies take care of Atlanta? Did it really matter? And I would say, yeah, in, in isolation, it didn't matter. But if you want to win a World Series, if you want to make a deep playoff run, I would still argue, and I know I have argued this point many times on this show before, mm-hmm. you are putting yourself in a much better position if you win the division than sure. it would be if you're chasing the final wild card spot. And the Phillies have eliminated all margin for error right off the bat because I will tell you, and this is not a surprise to us, Atlanta is very good, and they are playing very good baseball right out of the gate. I watched the Padres and Braves on Thursday night, Anthony. And I, listen, I know the Phillies beat both of those teams last postseason. I get it. So here's the asterisk and, and all of that. But I felt like I was watching a different sport last night. I mean, it had that October feel. Both teams were playing with a ton of urgency. There was a back and forth dynamic to it. It was exciting. It, it just felt like the Phillies were still stuck in Clearwater while I was watching two of the National League's best teams play like two of the National League's best teams. Yeah, I mean, and that's the that's what we're saying is is that the Phillies obviously came into the season behind. 
for whatever reason, whether it was they overprotected the pitching, whether their guys just were you know, too short of an offseason uh, and, you know, just take a little bit longer to ramp up, whatever the reasoning you want to say, um, they came in behind. And it, it's it's now to the point where you look and say, OK, it happened, but it can't continue to happen. This this is as bad as it as you were allowed to get. You were this. You know, we're not happy about going one and five, but it can't get worse. This is you can't have it go worse than this. This is where it is, and it's got to stay. This has got to be your your bottom, right? It's got to be your rock bottom, and you got to climb up from here. Because if you let it get worse, it, you're not going to climb up from here. So we have talked both with each other here on, on our show on Monday after the Texas series. Uh, and we've both been doing these, you know, morning after game recaps this week. And we've kind of alluded to some of the different problems facing this team. What's real, what's not. And, hey, you know, everyone concedes that it's the season isn't over. This is still a really talented team. All of those things, all of those qualifiers, all those, you know, PD positive things that we have to piss on this show because it would be crazy to write them off after a week. And that's all fine and well. But one thing that is very real right now with this team, we can talk about them coming back home. We can talk about them, you know, with the schedule. It's, it's lightening up a little bit here, at least seemingly is, although they are facing some pretty damn good pitching here, you know, over the next two series against both the Reds and the Marlins, as, as you know, lackluster as these teams both are. I guess the one thing that I kind of keep coming back to, though, that does give me some pause, that does kind of – you know, dampen some of my, hey, they'll be all right, is these injuries are real. Mm. I mean, these are real injuries. And, you know, we don't know exactly right now if if the Brandon Marsh deal is is ultra serious. Is this a day-to-day thing? We're recording this ahead of uh, the home opener. He may be in the lineup this afternoon. I, mean, I don't know. But we know that the Derek Hall thing is trending in the wrong direction. Cody Clemens is now here. So we would probably reasonably expect him to be out for – for at least a, a couple weeks here, it would look like, um, you know, man, like I, I just look at this and how many injuries can you sustain? We talked about the Reese Hoskins injury and you can kind of create a path where that's not totally devastating, although it, it has hurt them considerably here over the first week. But now it's being compounded by additional injuries. And this team just simply does not have the depth to, as most teams don't, to withstand two, three key injuries to major pieces of this lineup. Yeah, I, I don't think the the Marsh injury is going to be a big one. I don't in any stretch of the imagination. Even if he does doesn't play today, although I do think he will. Um, and this is purely from a weird observation uh, from being in Yankee Stadium on Wednesday. So he's not in the lineup, and we knew all this. You know, I, where we were sitting, I had a real direct line of sight into the Phillies dugout. And I didn't see Marsh very, you know, a lot early in the game. I was thinking to myself, all right, he's probably getting treatment. He's probably, you know, in the back. And then, then after a little while, I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe he's just not, he's hurt. Like, it's like legit. Like, this isn't, this isn't good. But then later in the inning and later in the game and in later innings, and, and it was when, um, right when they were about to pinch hit for Pache, was that the uh, sixth inning, seventh, whatever inning that was. Um, and uh, sixth inning, I think it was. Uh, and Josh Harrison comes up. To, Harrison comes up to bat. Marsh arrives in the dugout in full uniform, in his cleats, and he's doing exercises in the dugout. He's stretching. He's he's doing like little you know knee lift jogging things, right? And you know he's you know you know got his glove. He's got like so. I'm thinking that 
they were looking at it as a possibility that he was going to have to may have to go into this game at some point. Uh, maybe maybe not have been their first choice. Maybe that you know you know hey in case of emergency kind of thing. But he was out there doing these things, and so when you see that, I, I don't think that it's a situation. I agree where, with you. I, you know I, what I don't. I don't expect the Brandon Marsh injury to be a long term thing. I, I actually do expect them to play this weekend as well. Yeah. Um. You know, you go back to Tuesday night though, and it, little things matter. Everything adds up. You get to the ninth inning. You have you have a four nothing lead. You get the ball to Craig Kimbrell. You say, "Yo, man, can you just can you just make this easy for us?" <laughs> I know. And of course, he can't gives up the home run, and that's the play where Marsh injures himself. And Correct. I actually saw it in real time. Yeah. He went over to the fence, and you could see he just banged that knee up against the fence. That that that. Uh, his leg and it was like that knee ankle twist. And you said, there you go. Like that's going to be something. Yeah. And lo and behold, the next day he's out of the lineup and that game on Wednesday was a winnable game. It was yet another instance of this team having multiple shots to to score, leaving guys on base, Christian Pache. I I mean, I got to say like, and we talked about this when he was brought in, this isn't the 2015, 2016 Phillies. They don't have time to to take a a reclamation project under their wing and and do it on the fly. And now this guy is playing considerable role on this team. Let me me ask you this, Bob. He has been, he has been dreadful, dreadful, especially at the plate. And I I think that they also, I think he also made a mistake in the field. Oh, how about the play on Wednesday with the throw to the plate? Just a non-play. Like, That's, just... That was that was my question to you. Oh, so, so that was one of the things I wanted to ask you because, again, I I was I was there, so I don't get a replay. And to me, he was shallow enough, and and you got one of the slowest guys running in Lemayhew. Why does he not come up throwing? Like, why is he thinking about it? Even it, it should be an automatic in that spot. So, like to me, that's that's one thing I wanted to ask you. But at the same, but sounds like you agree with me. But the other thing I want to ask is this with him. You you paid zero for him. You basically gave up a a middling minor league relief pitcher, okay, who probably is not a major ever going to touch the major leagues in a a trade for Pache. That's how far he had fallen in Oakland. And with that being the case, it goes to show that other teams weren't willing to even pay that to get him. You, You put him on the waiver wire. Yeah. Is, is anybody going to claim him? And, I don't and, think so. And right, if they and, do. And if they do, no big loss. But if if not, you could send him down. All right? And yeah. then and finally, you can get him down there and, and, and work with him. And, and then maybe eventually down later in the season, he has a little bit more value. But he certainly ha- does not have the value you hope for right now. Yeah, if we were looking at this from a player development standpoint, we're not. We're looking at it from a team that we expect to win is one in five. And this player is not contributing. And not only is he not contributing, but he's killed them in a few key spots, you know, really big time spots. And so we're focused on the frustration of the result. But from a player development standpoint, if you're looking at this, it's a difficult ask of a kid to come across to a new organization on the fly with a team that's trying to win getting these big time at bats, he's not ready for it. He's not ready for it. And so to ask the player to try to evolve and learn and tinker and adapt on the fly and also contribute, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to ask of the player as well. Correct. Correct. And so like, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I liked originally liked the thought of the move because I said, you know what, here's a guy who's got some, who's really good defensively in the outfield. But then, when you make a mistake in the outfield, not that he not that he made a bad defensive play, 
But when you make a mistake in the outfield for the one thing that you're good at, then you you can't be here. You can't be part of this. Like that. That's what. If nothing else, and I don't care if he even throws him out of the plate. Let's say he throws home and, and the guy and Lemayu's still safe. At least he made the play. You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's doing the thing he's supposed to do. That that's doing something. That's not even doing the right thing. And so if you can't even do the right thing where you excel, then why are you here? Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing that we are uh, recording on April seventh, and the idea of where's Scott Kingery? Bring up Scott Kingery. <laughs> I, I think if if I told you about a month ago. I was pining for Scott Kingery on April 7th after six games. You probably would have looked at me and said, wow, they got off to a pretty bad start, huh? So, I mean, here we are, too. Yeah, Um, but um, but, but the Derek Hall thing, I mean, I don't want to overlook that because, look, I I, I was not a big Derek Hall guy. I didn't didn't see it, and I kind of felt like the team, when I was down there, I kind of felt like he was behind Jake. We talked about this. I kind of felt like he was behind Jake Cave. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, just well, he's not anymore because Jake Cave, you know. Well, he had a couple hits the other day. Yeah, yeah sack fly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever. Great. He's guy. He's he's yeah. look. There's no. I don't have a problem with Jake Cave. He'll, he'll save the day. Out. He'll save the day. In no, the no, 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 no. But what I'm saying Jake is, Cave gets to play four times a week now. That'll that he'll help carry nah, the field. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the threat of power being yes. out is what's the is what's going to hurt the Phillies. Because it's not that you sit there and say, oh, we need Derek Hall in the lineup because Derek Hall is what he is. But the fact is, is the guy does hit the ball hard. And when he connects, you know, there's a chance it's going to go out of that ballpark. And now you took that out of the lineup and you don't have the threat of power to replace him. So at this least lineup, this Phillies lineup does not have a lot of pop in it right now. Like you look at what they're going to roll out there this weekend and you know, Hey, listen, Trey Turner, that's fantastic. And we all know what Kyle Schwarber brings to the table and all fine and well, but go top to bottom. And all of a sudden you're like, this is not a, this is not a scary lineup. This is not an intimidating lineup. And of course it's not because they have three major pieces missing all together now and Derek Hall to a lesser degree. And then obviously Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper. It's not a finished product. So I'm not sitting here and saying the Phillies don't have a, a good lineup come the middle of this season, at least when Harper gets back. But man, like you look at this thing on paper right now and you go, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Cody Clemens doesn't move that needle for me. No. So it makes you wonder, does Dombrowski go and address this? sooner rather than later just tough you're going to need a trade partner that's willing to be aggressive on the other end of this as well i mean how many teams are looking to make meaningful moves in the second week of the season you even know if it's, or, yeah, but what, even if it's let me say it this way bob even if it's not a first baseman you, you know if you feel like okay look this is we, we're in a tough spot we have to play alec bohm at first can we and we have flexibility with other players can we find just the bat that we're looking for on another team and plug them in and work our guys around that bat? Yeah, I mean, I think that the plan changed this past week. I expect to see, and I know that last time we talked, I said Alec Bohm will probably be this team's first baseman as, as early as this July moving forward. I, I really think that we're, we're entering that space. And now with Derek Hall going down for however long, yeah. uh, I would actually expect Alec Bohm to, to get the, the bulk of the work at first base, and you'll see a ton of Edmundo Sosa in the lineup now. 
Yeah, but it still doesn't I mean, give you. It still doesn't give you the the power that you're looking for. Right? No, it doesn't. No, I, I mean we're talking about plugging holes here right now. You know that that's all this is. Yeah. This is not an ideal construction of a lineup. There really is a a lack of power, and part of the lack of power. Let me give you three numbers here because this is the thing I really couldn't wait to talk to you about. Let me let me give you three numbers, and you tell me if you know what they mean. Uh, let's see here: ten, seventeen. And six. 10, 17, and six. 10, 17, and six. That's a good. Um, no, go ahead. What do you got? Uh, the final 10 games of the regular season in 2022, 17 postseason games last year, and six games this season. Okay. Nick Cassiano still can't hit a ball over a major league fence in a game. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, I know that he got off to an encouraging start, especially in the opener, had a couple hits. Uh, Four for 22 thus far with 12 strikeouts. And I know that he's been the victim of some bad calls at the plate. Uh, it's actually robbed him of a couple walks. Uh, I, I'm willing to acknowledge that. I know that he's trying to be more patient. He's working on things. I'm also willing to acknowledge it's been one week. But we've talked about when Reese Hoskins went down, man, the, the Nick Castellanos bounce back isn't just a luxury anymore. It's, it's something that they need. Yeah. And it's something that they still are not getting. I'm just curious what you think, because I have an opinion on this well as well, but I want to hear from you first. What have you seen from him? Are you becoming um, a bit more pessimistic about this resurgence here that we were all kind of, you know, crossing our fingers on? Like, wh where are you at on Nick Castellanos at this point? I'm not, I'm not pessimistic about it. Um, uh, I'm not, I, I, you know, I look at the totality of it and I look at every game and, and again, it's easy to sit there and go, wow, he's hitting 180 just as easy as it is to look at Bryson Stott and say, wow, he's hitting 436, right? I mean, sure. when you're, when you're six games into a season, numbers fluctuate very quickly, very, you know, very rapidly. And I felt like, look, Nick had a really good series against Texas. He really did all three games. He was a solid player, did not have a good series against the Yankees. Like you pointed out, I think three of those 12 strikeouts against the Yankees were just brutal calls by an umpire. Um, the thing that worried me a little bit, though, in a couple of the Yankees games is he did chase a couple pitches. And that was the thing that when I talked to him down in spring training, that was the one thing that he was adamant about not doing. He said, he said, look, I'm, you know, if I strike out, I strike out. He said, but I don't want to strike out chasing pitches. He said that that's when I get mad at myself because that's the thing that the that the Phillies were mad at him about because even Thompson said, you know, when we asked, well, you know, all of us were asking Thompson about how he was approaching things. And he says, we just can't have him chasing pitches. So I think that they'll, I think that they'll settle for, Hey, you swing at a strike and strike out. It's going to happen. Or you get rung up on a ball that's borderline, you know, okay. Sometimes maybe you should have swung at it, but sometimes maybe you got, you know, you got job and you got a bad call. I think that they're a little bit more accepting of that. But you saw it. You did start to see it sneak in a little bit, and I thought that his he had a few at bats against the Yankees, where he either swung at bad pitches and missed, or he swung at bad pitches and made weak contact. And that's that's where you're. I think that ties into what you're saying that he hasn't put the ball over the wall. Well, why? Because if the pitches that you're swinging at, even if you're making contact, aren't resulting in, you know, good contact, hard hit balls. Then, then, then you're not helping the team, and I think that those, those, so there is a red flag that goes up from those three games. In my I mind. didn't really have a, a feel or any definitive take. I wasn't 
overly concerned about what I was seeing until the finale against the Yankees. I mean, his at-bats were basically get in the box, turn around, go back to the dugout. I mean, there was just no resistance whatsoever. And it looked like a guy that was starting to, for the first time this season, watch that frustration mount a little bit. And you and I have both talked about this back in March, which is if there was a player the Phillies needed to get off to that hot start, it would be Nick Castellanos. You don't want this thing to snowball against him where it turns into two, three, four weeks. He's hitting 200. He's not driving the ball with authority. Here we go again. I think the working theory here is that there, there's still that player in there. Like that, that production still exists within that body, yeah. but it, it just reaches a point where you start to say like, you can't rely on the back of the baseball card anymore. Like, I think we're starting to slowly creep away now from, wow, just look at his body of work throughout the, throughout the duration of his career. You just, you know, he has it in there. You, you know, it's coming. I would concede that I think he's capable of it, but I'm I'm starting to kind of look less at the the whole scope of his career and relying on that for this this bounce back and saying something has to give. It's going to have to come from come from adjustment. It's going to have to come from his own mental ability to to work through this. And yeah, you know, I would be lying if I said to you that I'm not a little bit concerned at least about what we're seeing out of the gate here. Yeah, I mean, there's and I and I agree with you on that like I mean I think that there you know you don't like to see it mount right and I think that that's what ended up happening here like I said three good games great I thought that the first Yankee game was terrible in all honesty I mean they all were right but when they lost eight to one I didn't think he had a good good approach in that game at all Um, I didn't like the game even how he performed in the win I thought that you know there were a couple of the bats there were just like yeah Nick not good um he was i think he was what oh for eight going to that and then he went oh for three with a walk uh wednesday um and and i and i felt like that that was yes that was the frustration mounting because i think that he is is standing there saying i'm approaching these right and i still didn't and i got i still struck out and that's why kevin long gets thrown out of the game right but because he's arguing that the pitches were low to castellanos that struck him out on two of them they were down um and and i think that that's i think that that's the frustration so maybe if anything else maybe having that extra day off after that game gets him back to where he was the way he was swinging against texas you hope so you hope and you also hope that you know his guy his hitting coach kind of going to bat for him in that game he says okay like i got you and he gets back to citizens bank park and not that he was unbelievably productive here last season but you know, you get home, yeah. start to feel a little bit better, and, and let's see what happens. And I think that that's what you have to almost bank on at this point. And I don't want to, after, you know, two days now since the finale against the Yankees, spend too much time rehashing, you know, the events of that game. But one of the, I guess, what you have to do right now at one and five is, is try to grasp a little bit for the positives. You're, you're trying to look at, okay, you know, this, this thing is a dumpster fire at the moment, but some good things are happening. What can I kind of grab and, and latch on to right now? And I guess uh, the performance of Aaron Nola, you, you would say that in a, a really big spot, they needed that game, uh, facing a, a pretty good Yankees lineup. Um, not the best Yankees lineup, but a, a solid Yankees lineup. Yeah. 
and and he delivered a, a pretty nice bounce back after what was a complete disaster mm -hmm. uh, on opening day. But I will tell you, and this has really always been my criticism of Aaron Nola. You know, Garrett Cole on the other end of this, I think, is in a different a different category of pitcher. Uh, and maybe you don't agree with that. And listen, I know that if you stack their numbers up over a five year window, you could probably make the argument that Aaron Nola has been almost as good, just as good as Garrett Cole. Um, I just, as a, as an observer of baseball, like I like the power arm. I like a guy that can just blow your doors off. And like, that's why I always just kind of, I, I kind of look at a guy like Garrett Cole and say, I'd rather have Garrett Cole than Aaron Nola. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but let's and, start. And, and, no, no, and that's fine. And, and well, you, you agree with that. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not, I, I believe that there is a place for a guy like Nola, who's not a power arm to be a great pitcher in baseball. I, I do not disagree I, 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 with that. Right? All I'm, I'm saying is that I traditionally, if I, I have the ability to get a guy that can overwhelm you, that's the guy that I like. Okay, and that's fair. And I and Cole is a superior pitcher at the moment. I mean, there's no okay. doubt about it. I mean, you see how he throw in that game. Um, and, and his first both starts. I mean, against the Giants, he was great too with 11 strikeouts in five innings. I mean, so, sure. so the, the guy is a dominant pitcher. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Um, so... So hold on, I'm not, I'm not trying to, that's not the point of my conversation. Yeah, fair. My takeaway isn't that Garrett Cole is better than Aaron Nola. I would actually concede that Aaron Nola was absolutely screwed in the first inning of that game. I mean, you know, that was a, a huge run early on, sets a tone. Phillies are playing from a hole almost immediately. I mean, he has, Glaber Torres struck out in that at bat. Mm -hmm. And the at bat's over. And, you know, he, he, it was on the steal attempt. I think it was, uh, so I think I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that brought Judge to second. Yeah. And then Judge scores after, uh, you know, Torres gets a fifth strike, basically. Yeah. So then here's and it was a, thing. And it was a broken bat hit. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, was a good, it was really good pitch. Yeah, <laughs> so he really had uh, no margin for error. I can't be critical of anything I saw from Aaron Nola through six innings. He was as good as you could possibly want him to be. Yeah. I do have a question for you, though, because you're a guy that always likes to kind of break down that moment in the game. You know, like, I'll look at the whole thing. I'm like, what's the end result? Did the Phillies win? No. Did Aaron Nola beat Garrett Cole? No, he didn't. Okay, well, then he didn't do his job. Well, I, I'm I'm not like that on this one. Like, I, great job, Aaron Nola, you know, three runs in six innings. But I will tell you, there was one moment in this game that truly, truly bothered me, and it came in the sixth inning. So you have LeMay who, who doubles to lead off the inning. And yep. Aaron Nola bears down. He doesn't let the momentum snowball on him, right? And we see that happen with him sometimes. He bears down. He gets Aaron Judge to line out. And then he gets Rizzo to pop out the short. So here we are. He has an opportunity to get out of the inning. And they go ahead and they pitch to Glaber Torres, oh, yeah. who singles to make it a 2 nothing game. And, and so at that point, you know where the Phillies are at with their offense right now. For all intents and purposes, that's pretty much the baseball game. My question to you, and I guess my statement mixed in, is I'm not ripping my hair out that Aaron Nola gave up a second run to the Yankees, but why on earth were they going after Glaber Torres when you have Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who doesn't have a hit this season, batting right. behind him we in said a one-run game? I, I what was are you doing? Bob, I was sitting there with with – Anthony Jr. and Andrew, my other son, and we as soon as it ha as soon as that was coming, we were like walk Torres and pitch to Kiner for Leffa. 
Like I, it's like, a no-brainer. I, it was, a, a, it was, it was an absolute no-brainer. It's the closest thing that you have to having a pitcher hitting on de- like and going after the eight hole. Like that's yeah, that it's a throwback to old National League baseball. Yeah, it was. It wasn't even a, a question. gift from the baseball gods. Yeah, utilize it. And that to me, it's it's not about Aaron Nola. Like first of all, I don't get it, and I I I'm going to place some blame on Aaron Nola, but it kind of goes to the dugout. And like, yeah. here's one man. Like we haven't done this yet, but. Love we, Rob Thompson. Rob Thompson will, all the yeah. credit in the world for what happened last year. But would you say that that staff has been off to an impressive start thus far? No, I wouldn't. No, that was a, that's a that's a managerial mistake in my mind. Um, here's what I'll say though about that that at bat once once they decide to pitch to Torres, there were he had he had Torres struck out twice if if JT Real Muto holds on to foul tips. Yeah. And I know it's hard to sit here and go, how come a catcher can't hold a foul tip, right? But they were both in his glove and fell out. Both. And the first one you could tell Real for sure, body language-wise, from where I was sitting, I could tell Real Muto on the first right. one felt like he should have held on to the first one. The second one, not so much. He, he didn't react the same way. But the first one, you could see like he kind of like bowed his head and put his glove on the ground like, man, I should have had that one. Um, if you hold on to, to, to either one of them, Oh no! I'm sorry. I'm, that's the home run. That wasn't. The, that wasn't. That's not that at bat. I'm. I'm on the wrong batter. I'm in the next inning. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the Trevino home run, which is which was that that bothered me too. But okay, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, the, the two strike pitch to, to Torres was not a good pitch. Yeah, Torres who ended up finishing with three hits on the day. Yeah, that was that was the it's pitch just, the pitch that Nola threw to Torres. Not a good pitch. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I guess. When things aren't going well, when 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 you aren't winning games and it, it feels like everything is working against you, yeah. it's like every decision that you make, it's it's just getting blown up in your face right now. And when things are going well for a team, they they are going to make mistakes. They are going to gamble. Yeah. They're going to. It just feels like every problem the Phillies are having is being magnified. It's okay. Brandon Marsh is out of the lineup. All right. Well, here comes Christian Pache and just key at bat after key at bat. Like the, the, the big time, big moments are keep finding a guy that can't hit. Like it, they, they have not been able to get away with or cover up their deficiencies to this point. Yeah. The one thing, I, the one, if you, if you want to look for a, a silver lining there, it's like, how can you find a silver lining there? The silver lining there is that the number nine hitter has come up multiple times with runners on base. Yeah. So that tells you that eventually when they get it right, on with the lineup that the guys who were hitting six, seven, eight are doing their job. And, and you know, that's a good, that's at least a good sign where they're getting on base and putting the number nine hitter in a spot where he could drive in runs. Right. right. So if you're looking for some silver lining, that's the one thing, but yeah, man, Pache, it just, we, we already said it just, he's been, he's been a killer since he came up. It, it's, it's couldn't have been, it couldn't have been more poorly timed. And it also looked like Gregory Soto was going to work himself out of that. That was the one I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Unable to do it. Now he's been, we've seen him three times, uh, two of which he's been pretty unimpressive. He was outstanding in between uh, in the the Phillies win. He was actually quite good. Um, I don't know if you want to dig back into that at bat, but I, I would just say, and the reason why I bring this up is, he has been less than stellar. Craig Kimbrell has looked shaky yeah. and it's just a thing where I'm hoping Anthony, that we can, you know, get a month out from all of this and say it was just a bad start. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you, 
write or you host a baseball podcast about one baseball team and you're only given <laughs> one week of games to talk about yeah. and everything that has happened has been utter shit. It's hard to get on here and say, ha, ha, you know, <laughs> we got, we got, you know, we're getting back home at the bank. Phils are playing in front of the front of that home crowd. You know, I, just, I, I guess I'm not there this morning. We can try in a moment as we look ahead, but oof. Yeah. I, and so the thing with me with Soto is, I, you know, I, I'm not, I, I've not been impressed, obviously. And there's nothing to really, really be impressed with. Um, and if you look at that at bat, like I was, as I was saying, because I, I was mistaking it for the Torres at bat, but that Jose Trevino at bat, he had him struck out twice and, and Real Muto drops the two foul tips. And then he gives him the pitch that he drives out of the ballpark for the home run, which to me, that was when I said, okay, game over. Even at 2 nothing, I'm like, okay, you're still just a single and a home run away from tying this thing, right? Um, right. And they did, they did get a run back, you know, right away. And, um, Again, bases loaded spot there, and they only got the one run. Um, so that's a little that's a little frustrating. But but in that in that spot, I'm like, oh man, you you got to get this guy out. How do you how do you let this guy survive this? And then he hits the home run. The thing about Soto that it's befuddling, and I, it, they got to figure they got to figure out his his wildness. And that's nothing new. We're not surprised by this, right? He he was not a um, uh, a strike. Well, he is a strike thrower, but he's he's like been effectively wild his whole career. He does walk guys. He's walking too many guys, and that's what he's putting himself in trouble. And I, I, it was it was hysterical. They flashed up on the screen. I think he's like striking out twenty one batters per nine, and he's walking twenty one batters per nine. <laughs> like, it's a terrible percentage of balance that you got between strikeouts and walks through three outings. And you know, it's yeah, like the old like, Jose Alvarado. It's like uh, pre yeah. late June twenty two Jose Alvarado. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, but it really is. And and I think that that's what they need to that's what they need to rein in. If you could just get him to control that a little bit more, then yeah, the strikeouts are going to come because he's got electric stuff. Okay, but you can't you can't be just coming in and knowing you're going to put two base runners on without them even getting a hit off you. And then somebody connects on one that you you know whatever, and then all of a sudden it blows the game open. Like you can't have that happen. So that's to me that's the frustrating thing with Soto so far. You see you see what they love about him, but so far the stuff that you don't like about the guy has trumped it a little bit. And 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 so it's like okay, let, let's let's get that fixed because if you don't, then that trade ends up going to blow up in your face, especially considering the injuries you have. And boy, wouldn't it have been nice to have. A Matt you would feel pretty good about this roster right now. Nick Maton and Matt Vierling were part of it, <laughs> right? wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sure would. Um, so you know that does bring us to the home opener here against the Cincinnati Reds, one that takes place on Friday afternoon, not Thursday afternoon. And I don't really think we need to spend too much time talking about the Phillies' decision to, uh, you know, postpone the home opener. Needless to say, the weather was spectacular in Philadelphia on Thursday afternoon. I know yeah. the Phillies were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to be proactive, that- give everybody a heads up. I get it. But if you had tickets yeah. to that game yeah, one- and you were all packed and ready to go Thursday. Mm. Uh, one thing one thing I want to add on it, though, that I do want to say, and, and I think it's important, you know, for fans to, to kind of understand and and I'm not trying to absolve the Phillies here because it's not they don't get an uh, they don't get absolution completely here. But this decision, because it's not a division game, is not a Phillies decision. It's a Major League Baseball decision, and they canceled two other games along the East Coast as well 
tied to this same storm. So ultimately, this is a call by Major League Baseball and not a call by the Phillies. Um, are the Phillies and Reds in constant consultation with the league when they're making this decision? Yes. And, you know, and the Phillies are offering up what they're hearing from their weather people. Major League Baseball has their weather people. But ultimately, the call is Major League Baseball's call. So it's so while we, it, it, you know, everybody wants to kill the Phillies for this, it, it, the call ultimately comes down on the league. I have just, a take. Just want to throw you. that out there. I have a take for you. the Phillies were five and one this morning. Nobody would give a shit, but they're one and five. <laughs> right, and of it's course. annoying. And you look up and you say, yeah. you couldn't get better weather on April 6th. What the fuck? And, yeah. and honestly, if you're a Phillies fan that had tickets that now has to kind of, you know, reorganize your Thursday, Friday schedule. Yeah. I know people are like, Oh, boo hoo, you know, first world problems, but like, it's real. Some people are driving quite a distance. Some people have da- childcare set up. Some people don't have jobs that, you know, I got into it last night with John Kincaid on Twitter. Not I got into it, but he's like, well, you know, they canceled it early enough that, you know, you could just, you know, revoke your, your personal day Thursday and put it in Friday. I'm like, yo man, like, not everybody's job works like that. Some people right. are bound to certain days on the schedule. Some people are, you know, bound to partnerships and the way that the company flows. So I don't know. I mean, like my thing is, should the Phillies be embarrassed or apologetic about what happened? Absolutely not. I get it. I understand what they did and why they did it. But if you had tickets to that game on Thursday and you were you were ready to go and now your plans are all jacked up, like I think you, it's okay if you were agitated by that. Yeah, no, I absolutely, you know, you can't blame fans for being frustrated. You know, I even had, I don't know if you saw, one of the guys uh, who had somebody who had tickets to the game was like asking me, and I think you got tagged in it too, on Twitter in advance. Like, I'm driving up from North Carolina. Like, what are they going to do with this game? Like, I mean, so you had fans who were coming from, a guy coming from North Carolina. Do you think he could just change his day? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll, you, hey, work. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just make I'm a personal day on Friday instead. No, no big deal. Yeah, no uh, problem, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, but I do think it kind of comes back to it's about the, the frustration of the entire first week of the season, and then this happens on top of it. So people are like, come on, man. Um, yeah. Okay, so look, you have the Reds coming in here now, and they are actually off to a functional start. They're three and two. And we know that Cincinnati's lineup is is uh, not particularly one of the deepest in the National League, I think would be a kind way to say it. Uh, but they do have some interesting arms, and it starts with the home opener. Zach Wheeler will look to bounce back after a tough first start last Saturday. And he uh, will be opposed by Hunter Green, who is a big arm, a high velo, power arm, but a guy who doesn't always get the results to go with the big strikeout numbers. Um, and that was the case in his first start as well. He comes in with an 8-10 ERA. Uh, the second game, you have Bailey Falter against Nick Lodolo, who is a really interesting young arm for Cincinnati, a tough lefty, a guy that that I, I don't love in terms of just the matchup there uh, in the second game of the series. And then Graham Ashcraft. Uh, right-hander had a good first start for Cincinnati as well. He'll go up against Taiwan Walker. All of this is to say that I'm not going to sit here and ask you to predict the series or anything like that, but I think that people should understand that, yes, the Phillies are at home. Yes, they are theoretically the better team, but Cincinnati does come in with three decent starting pitchers in this series. So if you're just like, well, they'll sweep the Reds and everything will be all right come Sunday night, I don't know that it's going to be quite that simple. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think that you're. You're right on that. And, and the, the interesting thing is, is you know, the Reds they all had a day off um, 
before yesterday as well because their game against was it the Cubs that got rained out on Wednesday so they haven't played since Tuesday the Reds um, and so they were able to kind of redo their rotation a little bit here the Phillies weren't going to be facing Hunter Green originally it was going to be Lodolo today Ashcraft uh, the second game and then I forget what you know slug they had going on Sunday um but now it turns out the Phillies get their top three all their top three pitchers in this series so um advantage to the Reds in in that regard and the fact that they they throw their best pitchers at the Phillies lineup um and also keep in mind when the Phillies played the Reds last year Lodolo pitched well against them and Graham Ashcraft pitched well against them right so so both of those guys had decent outings against the Phillies last year um so you're not guaranteed there's nothing guaranteed um i do still think they win the series you know you gotta sit there and say they're gonna take at least two out of three you hope they sweep but it wouldn't surprise me if there is a loss in these in one of these three games and, and yeah, I, think, but- I think you're right when you mention lodolo being the tougher matchup because of the fact that the phillies the way things are with their lineups right now they they put themselves in a bind against left-handed starters yeah, the Phillies saw Nick Lodolo twice last August on the 17th and uh, the 23rd of August. And on the 17th, they uh, saw him in Cincinnati, seven innings, five hits allowed, uh, walked to eight strikeouts, uh, no earned runs. Yeah. He was outstanding in that game. And I don't know if you recall that. The Phillies actually, it was a day game. They lost late in that game. I believe yep. Sir Anthony Dominguez was on the mound when they uh, were walked off in that game by the Reds. Yeah. They did see him a week later back at Citizens Bank Park. He lasted five and a third in that one, gave up only three hits, but four earned runs, two walks, struck out five. So Phillies did not have a, a ton of success against Nick Lodolo last season, and uh, that will be a tough matchup on Saturday. Listen, I, I, I don't – I'm not sitting here telling you that the Phillies have to win two out of three. They have to sweep. But, you know, you if they find a way to win the series, certainly if they find a way to sweep the series and they get to Sunday night at four and five, I think everybody feels a lot better – about where things are at, you kind of feel like, okay, uh, the first 10 games, first nine, 10 games of the season were an overwhelming success by any measure, and they have a lot of issues, but at least they haven't totally buried themselves. You you lose two out of three in this series, though, and this poor play, sloppy, unfocused play continues, and you're sitting here at, at two and seven come Sunday night, and uh, I think you start to panic a little bit. And, and you know, you could say, oh, you're only one sixteenth of the way through the schedule. What do you mean panic? But, I mean, as a fan, I think that you take all of this in and say, I better I, – I might have to reset my, my targets for this team. I might have to reset my expectations for this team. We've talked about all of these players and all of the things from a baseball standpoint that have gone wrong, and we've looked at individual pitchers, individual hitters. Anthony, the one thing that I really am struggling with the most, though, as I just watch all of these games, and you know, I think I mentioned this on our last episode, I've actually had an opportunity being at home uh, after my son was born last Thursday. I've had an opportunity to watch a lot of baseball around the league, mm-hmm. and I don't typically get a chance to do that. Um, usually, it's like the Phillies and whoever the Phillies are playing. Well, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question, Bob, real quick on yeah. that. Is this, yeah. is this courtesy of my uh, MLB? No, no, it's not. Okay, actually. I just wanted to check. No, it's not. It's, I actually just have the MLB network on it oh, all okay. times. But I do have that, and it was yeah. very handy for that one glorious Andrew Painter inning back in the spring. So. You're happy to use um, it. Go right ahead and use it if you want. I will. I, ha- I have not since, though. Um, but we'll see here. You know, I think that the thing that that really bothers me 
is that they look sloppy. The base running has been horrible. Yeah. There's been defensive lapses. They haven't hit in key spots. They, you know, and when, when things don't go right, you say, well, they don't have focus or it's a hangover from last year, or, you know, they're pressing, they're trying too hard, but it does look to me that everyone right now, coaching staff included, like it just looks like everyone's like a little tight, a little in their head right now. I think they want to win. I don't think these guys turned into losers this off season. So I, I just think that everything, as you know, in the game of baseball, this is how it goes. It's all just kind of working against them right now, and they have to stem the tide here. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think I mentioned this in the uh, uh, morning after yesterday. Um, the one thing that you can sit back and look at and say, you know, this is all a terrible start. It's all frustrating. But I think that we really, ca- we really let it sn- – we got caught up in the first two games where they were absolutely dreadful – against the Rangers, or at least three of the first four, right, where where they even got blown out by the Yankees in the first game of this series, of the past series. But if you look at it in, in the segment of three of the – in their last four games, so the three against the Yankees and the last game against Texas, and yes, they're one and three in those. But three of those four games have been very competitive. They've been in it. They've had chances to win all of them. Only one won, and you lose two, and that's that's not – ideal but you look at that you know Sunday night game against Texas should have won that game you look at the game Wednesday in, in New York could have won that game right so you at least at least you say okay that it may not have stemmed itself right away with wins but maybe it's starting to stem itself a little bit to get away from the the craziness of the first two days where they gave up 27 runs <laughs> in the first two games of the season right so I think that that's the one thing you look at and say okay maybe that's it's a slow turn it's a slow stemming of the tide but that it's it's coming so it could be wrong could completely be wrong and they could continue to to have frustrating defeats like this and, and let it snowball but it could also be that yeah it's it's going to get there it's just they they needed a little bit slower of a process to get back to where we thought they were going to be well, we'll certainly see. I mean, teams that win 100 games, they win a lot of games by one run, right? And yeah, teams that win sure. 60 games lose a lot of games by one run. Fair. And, you know, and, yeah. and I'm not trying to oversimplify the, this this equation here. But again, when you're talking about one week worth of games, you say, okay, well, that's true. They, they did play some competitive baseball this past week. Got to win these games, though. Um, so, okay, I think you and I are both uh, going to be uh, in the house today. Yeah. Uh, make their triumphant return to south philadelphia yeah um i was wearing a a polo shirt if we went yesterday now today i gotta wear long sleeves that's yeah i actually went out i have uh i was gonna wear this yesterday this nike polo shirt uh but yeah you're right gotta layer up a little bit here uh let's uh let's hit the one last thing and and wrap this bad boy up and next time we talk hopefully we'll be all smiles yeah no one last thing is is i want to i want to you know uh at least make Phillies fans feel a little bit better because they could they're today not. they t- could today and and look I know that their record is ahead is better than the Phillies but they could be New York Mets fans today <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that I mean come on have you seen what they've with what they've been going through this year this week you know since spring training all the injuries um all the the getting blown out of Milwaukee blowing a game in Milwaukee they, I mean, they just got swept by the Brewers where they lost 10 nothing, 9 nothing, and then blew a, a game in the bottom of the ninth and lost 7-6 to six to the Brewers. Uh, 
they've got injuries out the wazoo. Max Scherzer looks terrible. Uh, you know, they now um, Omar Navarez is going on the on the DL, so they're going to have to call up uh, uh, the kid, the catcher, um, Francisco Alvarez, to come play because they need catching. Um, and, and maybe that's a good thing for them because they're yeah, they're, my day. they're actually. And this is this was the thing we talked about, Bob. They're too frigging old. <laughs> They are yeah. too old, and they got all their you know pitchers that are hurt and on the DL or IL, and, and guys are underprodu or not producing like they thought they would to start the year. Could you imagine being a, a you know that team with that payroll and have this kind of start to happen to them? Holy smoke! What kind of a fan would you be at that? And and by the way, greatest thing ever those Yankees fans up there, and we were sitting that we were they were sitting with us at the game. They were relentless relentless on the Mets. You'd think they would be giving, you know, people that are sitting there, you know, my sons are decked out in their Philly stuff that they would be giving them a hard time. Oh no. They was it was like they were became fast friends making fun of the Mets. That's how much that Yankees fans hate the Mets too. So I, I, like what could you imagine what it would be like to to be covering either rooting for that team or covering that team right now? Holy hell. Well, as soon as you said I have something that make the Phillies or Phillies fans feel better, I knew the only answer to this could be the Mets. And honestly, <laughs> I have not had an opportunity to point and laugh at the Mets quite as much just because of what had the you know what has happened with the Phillies here for the first week. But you know, I think we had we had three takes on the NL East going into this. Atlanta was going to be really good. Well, we're seeing that. Yeah. We thought the Phillies were going to be pretty good. We have not seen that yet. Uh, and we thought that the Mets were going to be old. We thought the Mets wouldn't hit. And we thought that the, the loss of Edwin Diaz would kill them. And all of those things are happening uh, to this point. I mean, the Mets look like they're in a world of trouble. And, you know, the Mets have to kind of also deal with the fact that they're the Mets. And it's just that same old stench, that same old stink. And they look like a – they do not look like a legitimate threat to contend in the National League, again, through one week. Um it has helped a little bit. And and really, from a standing standpoint, you know, if, if this is going to turn into a thing, and I, I fear this, but it, it does feel like it's going this way, where you say, all right, listen, they're not going to win the National League East. You you don't want to fall 10, 12, 13 games behind both teams again. Though, right. You know, right. So at least the Mets aren't running away from them out of the gate here, too. That's the one thing the Phillies can kind of hang their hat on and say, all right, well, you know, we're still within striking distance. We get our shit together for one or two series. We could be in second place, you know, just like that. And I, I think that that's kind of a little bit of a comforting thing as well. The Mets look like they're in serious, serious trouble, Anthony. I totally agree with you. <laughs> and I just can't, I just enjoy it because every year I hear just look at the Mets, 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 Mets. And I look at it and go, I don't see it, man. <laughs> Yeah. And I know, and I trust the the history. I trust the, yeah. the baseball god. So, so yeah. There's a little thing. One last thing for for fans to at least smile about, uh, even though the Phillies have started one and five. So, all right. Well, uh, that will wrap it up for our latest show. We will be back uh, Monday. What the hell day? Hey, Friday. Yeah, yeah, we're back on. I don't know if we had any morning after recaps or anything like that. No, we'll be back on Monday, hopefully after a series victory for the Phillies over the Cincinnati Reds. For Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure that you're following us on YouTube, watching the show there, and then catching us wherever you get your podcast. Thanks a lot. We'll talk soon.